thinking a lot, praying a lot for each and every one of you. And what God would say to us this morning through his word. Because his word is so precious, amen? I mean, it's the word of truth. It is reality. It is what corresponds to what is in life. So the word of God is very precious to my soul. I was saved later in life when I was 28. I can remember just this passion and desire to want to read the word of God. So I thought, I'm behind. I've got to catch up. You know? And so the word has become so central in my soul, in my life, in my spirit for so many years. And so we're going to take a look at a passage this morning in Ephesians. Brian was in Ephesians last week. I didn't even know he was going to do that, so I think God is kind of tracking with us. Uh, and so this passage is simply an amazing passage. I'm not even sure I understand it all. And so I'm going to make an attempt with the aid of, of God himself. And all of you too, because as you read the scripture, and it's all well and prayed, the Holy Spirit is ministering to you as well. There are things that you're seeing in the Word of God as we go through it that I may not see, but the Spirit of God reveals it to you in the process as you listen to His Word. And it focuses upon your identity in Christ. We can look at our society and we can see so many different ways people attempt to define themselves and to find direction in life. So the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's probably a circular letter because in some of the early manuscripts the word Ephesus is not there. So it's a letter that probably was read at Colossae, Laodicea, Parapolis, and it was circulating throughout the churches. And it was a universal type letter. It wasn't addressing any particular problem, although Paul was emphasizing this idea of unity. Identity and unity. So as you learn to live your life out in the identity of Christ as to who you are, it affects the unity of the body of Christ and also brings glory to God. Because if there's anything churches need today, is a sense of that unity. Amen? Because that unity is spirit-generated, and it becomes a testimony to who Jesus Christ is. So, I don't know if any of you have... Seen the movie series uh, The Born Identity? Anybody seen that? It's about a CIA agent, and they changed his identity completely. And so the whole movie series is this man attempting to find out who he is, driving himself back to his roots. So, in the course of the year, I need to be reminded about who I am in Christ. And so, what I do. What I've done, I've gone online, looked at a YouTube thing, and there are some really neat little YouTube videos that remind you who you are in Christ. So uh, I wrote one of these down. I'm just going to read it. And it pretty much summarizes what Paul is saying here. He says, before Christ, I was a different person. This person was my old man, my old self. But that person died in Christ, and my life is now hidden with Christ. I'm in Christ. He is in me. I'm a new creation. This does not mean that I will never stumble or fall back into old patterns, but I will call them what they are, old patterns, old habits, of the old person that I was. I will confess them. I will thank God for his forgiveness. I will make amends, and then I'm going to move on. Not because I'm taking sin lightly, but because I'm taking seriously who God says that I am. I am holy, pure, unstained, without blemish, 
Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what God has done for me. He has wiped my slate clean. I am blameless before God. That feel good? How many of you feel blameless in life? We can look at our lives and just come and go, man, I'm just, I've got mistakes, I've got things in my past. That just seem as if God would not be pleased with me. Therefore, shame is no place in my life. Because I'm a new creation, and all the ugly parts of my story, the parts I want to believe never happened, have been redeemed, and they have become the moments in my life when God's grace is most on display. Thank you, God, my mistakes do not define me. My past does not define me. Because God has defined my identity. I am his beloved child, in whom he is well pleased. This is my identity. Periodically, I'll watch that little three-minute video. You can go on, online and watch it too. To remind me as to who I am in Christ. So that I behave according to who I am in Christ, no matter where I am. Whether it's in the workplace, in my home, in the church, in the community, it doesn't matter. Wherever I am, my goal is to act according to who I am in Christ. So Paul opens up this letter. We turn to Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 3. He opens up this letter. It's an amazing letter. And he begins with simply a burst of praise. And he addresses them. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he shows them and he addresses them that they have a geographical location. So we're in all good Tennessee, right? Yes? But we also have a heavenly position. It says that they're in Ephesus and the faithful that are in Christ Jesus. Little phrase in Christ. Paul uses that in his writings over 180 different times. In Christ. Little phrase in is the idea of a fixed position. Once you're once you're in Christ, you're in. You can't get out. And so we have a geographic location, we have an earthly identity, but we also have a heavenly position. Amen. So if you look in Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 20, we're going to see that this power of resurrection worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand where? In the heavenly places. So that's where Jesus is right now, in the heavenly places. And so where are you? Drop down, chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's where we are. We are positioned in Christ. So Paul begins to help the church at Ephesus and this church here understand that we are positioned in Christ and that should affect our practice as to what we do as believers. So we are positioned in the heavenlies and we should practice that lifestyle. Although many times there's a gap between our position and our practice. Amen? Would we admit that? There is a gap between your position and my practice. And so we're constantly trying to close that gap as believers in Jesus Christ. Just like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I'm doing what I don't want to do, right? But yet I want to do, but I'm not doing what it is that I want to do. It's an amazing section of scripture. The Apostle Paul had a gap in his position. And so growing in Christ, you begin to close that gap over time 
but it's never closed until we, until we will see him face to face. Okay. So the Apostle Paul explodes in praise and he says, Blessed be the God, the Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly places, where? In Christ. So he's praising God as, as the Godhead who dwelt in Christ. As the Holy Spirit is revealing this to Paul. And he goes on to say, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So he chose you before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Just think about that. Before the world was created, God had you on his mind. Because he loves you that much. So he has chosen you. This is part of who we are in Christ. We're chosen. We're not left out. We're included. So a church should be an atmosphere where people feel included. Yeah? And accepted. And loved. And forgiven. That atmosphere, that spiritual atmosphere of a church, should display the very Godhead that existed in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We should be holy, set apart. Set apart from the power of sin, set apart to Christ himself, blameless, without fault. So God looks out upon your life. He doesn't see all the mistakes. He doesn't see all the sin. He doesn't see all those bad decisions. He sees you in Christ. Accepted completely and totally. You have the favor of God upon your life. <clears throat> and it's in love. He told Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, that I set you apart before you were even formed in the womb to be a prophet. Just imagine that. God had us on his mind. And eternity passed. It's amazing. That we should be holy. I was going over this passage with my eight-year-old grandson this week. I just wanted to see from a child's perspective how he saw it. When he got to the word holy, I said, what do you think that means? Holy. He just, he, he just kind of just sat there. Like most of us, right? What does it mean? How do you define this stuff? How do you explain it to where we understand it and experience it? And so all of a sudden, the word just came out powerful. Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> Holiness is powerful. Amen? Mm-hmm. So he goes on. We're not only chosen to be holy without blame. He predestined us to be adopted. Predestined. The idea that he marked out beforehand. Like an architect building a building. He lays out the plan. He marks out the purpose of the building. He marks out the function of each room beforehand. So beforehand, we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. We've been predestined to be conformed into his image. That's the goal. So the goal for our day is, am I more like Christ in my home? At the workplace, in the church, in the community? Am I a more loving person? 
That's what I always ask myself. Am I growing in Christ? Am I becoming more loving? No matter what's happening, no matter what the situation, no matter what's going on. Is that going on? Is that an undercurrent in my life? Because I've been predestined to be adopted, set out to be adopted. He has adopted you as well. You were an orphan, powerless, not knowing where you're going to go. And somebody moved toward you out of grace, out of nothing in and of yourself, and picked you and chose you. Much like you've been on a job interview. And you interview, right? You walk out and think, man, that was terrible. Nervous, didn't ask questions, didn't know what to say. But then they pick you, right? And you go, wow, that's amazing. That's, that's the, the feeling that we should have because God has picked us by his grace. That he has lavished upon us. Like he's just washed us clean of, of his grace and, and the word of God that Paul says in Ephesians washes us, right? Cleanses us. Predestined as the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He liked doing this. He likes this. We bring him pleasure. Do you ever think about that? That you bring God pleasure? Man, sometimes I don't think I do that. But he looks at us and he takes pleasure in each and every one of us, how he put us together. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. He knows the words before we even speak them. It's amazing how, how much he knows us, how intimately he knows us. If we would allow ourselves to be known by him, we would have that growing walk with Christ on a daily basis. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in the beloved. You're chosen, you're adopted, and you are now accepted, not rejected. How many of you have been rejected in this life? Man, rejection. Personal rejection. All kinds of things. Sometimes we reject even ourselves. Right? What we tell ourselves. How we define ourselves. God says, no. No. I love you. You're my beloved. I accept you completely and totally. Accepted in Christ. Now Christ the Son in Him. We have redemption. Through His blood. He's bought us back. He set us free. The forgiveness of the sin, according to the riches of his grace. We have forgiveness. The debt has been paid. How many of you have debt? <laughs> At least I have one. <laughs> we all have debt, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody just came in and said, I'm going to pay off your debt? How would you feel? Wow. That feels amazing. There was the debt of sin. And Jesus paid that price at the cross. He set you free. Even though we struggle with it today, right? I mean, who doesn't struggle with sinful tendencies? Tendencies of the past. The flesh, as Paul would call it. Old psychological habits that can be triggered at a moment's notice. And the enemy knows just exactly how to do that. Forgive him. 
You're chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You know, a lot of times, somebody will, at work, somebody will do something, make a mistake, and have to correct them. And they'll say, I'm sorry. And I'll say, you're forgiven. And they'll laugh. Because who says that, you know? And they experience that little drop of forgiveness that Christ has given to each and every one of us. We're forgiven. Let that seep into your spirit, into your soul. And it's according to the riches of his grace. In verse 8, which he may abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You know, we have wisdom from God pouring out toward us. And it's the kind of wisdom that helps us see out into the future. Because that's what Paul's going on. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. And what is his will? The mystery of his will. Is Christ in you the hope of glory, right? Do you ever look for Christ in you? Look for Christ in everybody who says, okay, I'm a believer in Jesus. Okay, I'm going to look for Jesus. I'm going to look for Christ in you. The hope of glory. Paul's passion, his whole passion that drove him in life was that he labored as a woman in childbirth. And so Christ is formed in you. Isn't that amazing? So we're in the process of being transformed. And the process occurs as he renews our minds as we focus upon the word of God. Changes us and how we think and how we process information. And so the mystery was will. Christ knew the hope of glory. What else is his will? Many times when they do church surveys, the number one thing Christians want to know is how do you find the will of God? Many times we're thinking about, should I buy this house, buy that car, marry that person, do this, do that. But when you look at the word of God, it's very, very clear what the will of God is. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7. He says, it's in the statement, in the form of a command, and he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's a command. So God commands the lost person to be born again, to be born from above. To be able to see the kingdom of God. That is God's will for everyone on earth. That they be born from above. They be born again. And then Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 3, says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy word for you need to be growing spiritually in Christ. That's God's will. No matter what the situation, circumstance, context of your life, are you growing more and more to be like Christ? And then in Ephesians 5, in 17 and 18, Paul says, Don't be ignorant. Know what the will of the Lord is. To be filled with His Spirit. So it's God's will that you grow spiritually and that you walk and that you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So how do you know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God? If you're in the Word of God. Because in Colossians, Paul says, when you're filled with the Word of God, the same thing happens when you're filled with the Spirit of God, this description of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is the same. So being filled with the Spirit is the same as being filled with the Word of God to direct your mind and your heart in no matter what situation that you're in. It's God's will. That's God's will for your life. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 and 17 and 18, Paul says, Rejoice always. Always be happy. How many are you like happy all the time? I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I wish I was, you know. Um, some people are, you know. Some people you meet, some people they're just like happy all the time. Uh, other people are not. 
Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Pray constantly. And give thanks to everything. For this is God's will. To give thanks, to be praying all the time in an attitude of prayer, and to be happy, to rejoice because of who you are in Christ. That is God's will no matter what else is happening. And as you live that house, you'll have the discernment necessary to decide, okay, I should buy that house or not that house. I need to move here or take that job. I need to do this or do that. Because you'll, you'll be the, have the direction of the Spirit of God guiding your thinking. It's the will of God. It's made, been made known to us the mystery of His will. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. So He's going to sum it up one day in Christ. Everything will be summed up in Christ. There's a coming kingdom. You're born again. You can now see the coming kingdom. Christ is coming back. He will bring his kingdom. We're in the times of the Gentiles right now. And there's going to be a time of tribulation in the earth like the earth has never seen before. The church will be taken out, spared that, and God will begin to work with his people Israel once again. Through the tribulation, on out into the millennial kingdom, on out into eternity an amazing thing, and God gives us the kind of wisdom to be able to see that as you read Isaiah, as you read Micah, as you read Jeremiah, as you read Ezekiel, as you read Revelation, as you read the book of Daniel, you begin to see that coming future kingdom and the inheritance that we have in that kingdom. Because then he goes on to say, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. So, you're chosen you're adopted, forgiven, redeemed. God has made known to you His will. And now you have an inheritance. How many of you have like a million dollars you're going to inherit in the next couple of years? <laughs> okay, in Christ, you have spiritual resources that are enormous because we're doing a spiritual work. We need spiritual resources. To do that. In him we obtain inheritance. Being predestined has been marked out before time according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. According to the counsel of the Godhead as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Discuss these matters and they've laid out this plan. And God gives us insight into it as we read his word. And ask God to open this stuff up to us. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. See, we bring glory to God when we accept Jesus Christ. And, you're, and, and you are born from above. Brings glory to God. Now what is God's glory? That's one of the hardest things to define. His glory. You know, sometimes when you're watching a sunset, and you kind of see the glory of God, I think you sense something bigger, don't you, than yourself in those moments. It's his glory. And how many of you have ever watched the Antique Roadshow? Anybody? Antique Roadshow? <clears throat> they bring in a piece of furniture. might be something like this. This looks antique. <clears throat> and they have a, the, the gentleman kind of hiding away it, and the person owning it is looking at it, and finally he says it's worth $90,000. Everybody runs around the house at home. Right? 
He's brought out the inherent worth and value of that peace, its glory. And so when we walk with God, we are bringing out the glory of God to the praise of his glory in ways that we may not even know. Someone experienced that as they're interacting with us, no matter where we are. It's to the praise of his glory, in verse 13, and him you also trusted if you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you heard the word of truth, you are listening to the word of truth right now. Isn't that awesome? This is the word of truth. This is what corresponds to reality. This is what's real. So whenever you're like wondering or doubts or fears or something's happened in your life, run to his word. Run to his people. Don't stay away. Gain perspective. Gain strength from him and his spirit guiding you through this word. It's the world of his word, and it's so different from our world, right? In this world, in the book of Numbers, donkeys talk. You know that story? I mean, that's an amazing story. I'm always amazed at that story. Other things happen as well. It's an amazing world, but it's the real world. It's the truth. It's reality. The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are safe and secure in Christ. Hallelujah. Safe, secure. In our world today, there's so much insecurity, uncertainty. You never know what's going to happen. People believe all kinds of different things. But in Christ, you're safe, you're sealed, you're secure. It's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And Paul goes again, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the deposit. It's the guarantee that we're going to have that inheritance. And so Paul has just described our position in Christ. That you are chosen, you are adopted, you are accepted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you know his will, you're now safe and secure in Christ. And now Paul bows his knee in prayer. And he says, therefore, he says, this is overwhelming to me. And so he bends his knee and he begins to pray for those at Ephesus. He begins to pray for those in this room. Although he did not know that, but he has this prayer recorded here. He says, therefore, also after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, which is the will of God to pray constantly that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, your eyes and your understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Paul's praying. Look, I just laid out what God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Godhead is, and how he defines you. And I want all of you to be enlightened and let that light shine on your heart so you too understand that, walk in it, and experience it on a daily basis. That's what his passion is. The hope of the call, where the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Oh man, if there's anything we need to experience today, is the power of the Holy Spirit of God, walking strengthened by him. 
according to the working of his mighty power. Then you end up in verse 20, which he worked in Christ, raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. We have access to resurrection power. Because you've been baptized into Christ. Your identity has been permanently changed. You cannot go back and be what you were. And if you tried to do that, you will be unhappy if you're a believer in Jesus. Although we have those tendencies that seem to want to drag us back underneath it all, right? But in Christ, we have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. And there is the opportunity God has given us in Christ to walk free in Him. Amazing. Amazing. Chapter 6 expands on all so let me just read that statement again. Before Christ, I was a different person. This person was my old man, my old self. But that person died in Christ. My life is not hidden in Christ. I am in Christ and he is in me. I am a new creation. This does not mean that I will never stumble or fall back into old patterns, but I will call them what they are, old patterns, old habits of the old person I was. I will confess them and I will thank God for his forgiveness. I will make amends and then move on. Not because I'm taking sin lightly, but because I'm taking seriously who God says I am. I am holy, pure, unstained, without blemish. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what God has done for me. He has wiped my slate clean. I am blameless before God. Therefore, shame has no place in my life. I love that part. The shame is when you feel like a defective person, like there's nothing good about them. Jesus took that at the cross, and he's cleansed you from that. Because I'm a new creation, and all the ugly parts of my story, the parts I want to believe never happened, you have some of those parts, have been redeemed, and they have become the moments in my life when God's grace is most on display. Thank you, God. My mistakes do not define me. My past does not define me. Because God has defined my identity. I am his beloved child in whom he is well pleased. And this is my identity. And one last comment. Another way I'm reminded to act according to who I am in Christ on a daily basis is I like the character Superman. And Superman had a supernatural identity and he had an earthly identity. And we do too. We have earthly identities, but we have a heavenly identity in Christ. And so Clark Kent is kind of a bumbling reporter. He'd go into the phone booth, right? He'd come out. Superman. He was now going to act according to who he really is. And he was faster than a speedy bullet. He was more powerful than a locomotive. And he could leave tall buildings in a single bound. So, as a believer in Christ, you act according to who you are in Christ. You are faster than any word, doubt, or fear that can come into your life. You are more powerful than the greatest tragedy that can come into your life. And you can leap your daily problems in a single battle. And there's a scripture that reinforces this, which I was amazed it's even in the Bible. <clears throat> It's Psalm 1829, and it says this, 
for you, for by you, God, I can run against a troop. I can run through a troop that's coming against me. And then, by my God, I can leap over a wall. Now, so one thing I have done, I wear a Superman watch. It has an emblem right there on my watch. You can't really see it, but it's there. And so every time I look at my watch, I know it's time to act according to who I am in Christ. Second by second. That's Father, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And you poured into the Apostle Paul this amazing revelation. I barely understand. Father, but you have shown us that we are chosen. You picked us. And you adopted us out of no merit on us at all. You have accepted us completely and totally. And you cleanse us. And you call us to be holy. You call us to be blameless. And we are in Christ. You have redeemed our, our sin, our bad decisions and choices. You have forgiven us. We can walk free. We can walk with a light step in Christ. You make known to us your will. And there's an inheritance in the future that's still yet to come. This is only a taste of what's to come. You feel us. We're safe and secure in Christ. And Father, I just pray right now that these words of yours, through the Apostle Paul, Father, would penetrate our lives forever, and they will, because the Word of God will go on forever, and we would grow more and more in your likeness, and forgive us when we react in those old ways, when the enemy trips us up, Father, I pray you would just teach us daily in your word to ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can be to the praise of your glory and reach people for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you placed us here this morning to hear just a word of encouragement what you spoke to the Apostle Paul. In the name of Christ. Amen.